Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be bringing you the conclusion of the case of serial killer Willie Picton in Vancouver, Canada. Let's get right to it. Let's pick up right where we left off. Willie Picton was finally in police custody and charged with two counts of murder in the cases of Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. He was transported to the Surrey Municipal Center. At the time of his arrest and booking, he was filthy as usual. Officers took his greasy, shit-smeared clothes away and tried to make him take a shower. He refused, stating, I was raised to take a bath not a shower. Y'all remember the pig excrement stew dips in the tub Willie took ever so often, right? He demanded one, but unfortunately for Willie, soaks in the tub aren't a thing for an inmate looking at murder charges. He was led to a cell, but it wasn't empty. There was already another prisoner inside, and his cellmate was complaining when Willie got there yelling that he hadn't gotten a chance to speak to his lawyer. Willie settled in, and the pair pretty much instantly started talking. Willie asked him what he was in for, and the man claimed it was for warrants from back east, referring to eastern Canada. Willie claimed he was there after being arrested when he was just out driving, and officers had pulled him off the road and slapped him with two murder charges. And further, he had been set up by the police. His new roommate asked, Won't you get a good lawyer? Willie responded, Yeah, but that's not the answer. Lawyers can only do so much. Oh, how true that would turn out to be. Willie told the old sob story that he was just a farm boy, and he just didn't know why everyone was looking at him. And of the news media coverage about his home in Port Coquitlam, Willie stated, Pork Coquitlam now, not port. Pork. I heard of mad cow disease. Now you got fucking pigs eating people. The whole fucking world knows me. All the way to Hong Kong. To everywhere. Willie went on to tell his celly all about Sandra Gale Ringwald. His shitty childhood. Switching back and forth between topics and stories frequently. He whined that the police probably weren't taking care of his pigs and how he was going to lose everything he had ever worked for. Willie stated, I'm screwed, tattooed, nailed to the cross, and now I'm a mass murderer. Now they're coming after me, fucking pig man, because they say my pigs ate people. In reality, no one had said that. Not a soul. Well, except for Willie Picton himself. He talked about BFF Dinah Taylor, who he claimed was actually a little more than his BFF. She was his girlfriend. She'd stick by him for sure, he told his new roommate. He could count on Dinah. The man asked if he had someone working on his bail, and Willie said he had his brother Dave handling all that. And again, it was all poor, poor Willie. He was just a simple farm boy, and these cops were trying to make him out to be a mass murderer. It was their fault he was in there. He walked over, inspected the camera hanging in the ceiling, and asked his celly if he thought it was a camera. They both knew it was, but regardless of the camera, Willie would keep talking. He bragged about some parties out at Piggy's Palace, told the sob story of Horse Goldie, 
and eventually got tired of running his mouth and fell asleep. Brother Dave Picton was spotted that night going to see Willie's lawyers in downtown Vancouver. And in Dave Picton's style, outraged that members of the media were there filming, got into an altercation with a journalist, breaking the man's glasses. This would later be broadcast for the world to see. The next morning at 10.16 a.m., officers removed Willie from his cell and he was placed in an interview room. RCMP Sergeant Bill Forty was going to conduct the interview, and he came prepared. He had reviewed everything he could get his hands on in reference to Willie Picton and the missing women. He walked into the room, introduced himself, and began talking to Willie as a whole team of investigators, profilers, psychologists, and task force members watched the interview from another room. Willie immediately claimed to Bill Forty that he was being set up. The interview dragged on for five and a half hours, but Willie would give him nothing. He stuck by his story. He was just a plain old farm boy, a pig man, a good guy, and he was being set up. Even as Forty laid out all the evidence they had against him thus far, Willie denied everything. And with that, it was time for Don Adam to take over. Don Adam was leader of Project Even-Handed and a seasoned investigator. He had been watching Forty interview Willie in the other room. He walked in, introduced himself, and shook Willie's hand. And at first, Willie denied everything all over again. But Adam laid out the evidence for him one more time. Serena Abbott's ways inhaler, her tote bag, Mona Wilson's DNA and blood, Heather Bottomley's ID. Not to mention the fact that Scott Chubb was talking, as were others. They knew Willie was a murderer, but Adam wanted to know how many bodies he was going to find, and if others were involved, or if Willie had acted all alone in this. He pressed Willie harder and harder, and finally he cracked. It wasn't a huge, ground-shattering, earthquake-style crack, but more like a small, fine crack of an eggshell. Adam tried to pull at Willie's heartstrings. That was if he had any. Pleading, Willie, look at me. The families need to know. I'd like to know. I've made my own grave, Willie responded. Adam went further. Tell me this is not a situation where you chained them up and tortured them and they screamed. Willie let out a sigh. Pigs, they go quickly. I gave them money for drugs and everything. What they did was up to them. The interview went on. And then Willie offered Adam a deal. If I tell you what you want to know, will you pull the fences down? Willie was referring to the fences on the farm that had been placed to protect the scene as investigators searched, a search that was still taking place even as he sat in this interview room. Adam answered, I'll be straight with you, no. Willie pressed further, If I tell you everything I know, if I admit to everything, will you pull the fences down? Adam was having none of it. Again, he said no and then changed the subject. The conversation turned to Dave Picton. Adam asked if Dave was involved, and Willie said he wasn't. Dave Picton wasn't involved in any of it. And as he did several times throughout the interview, he said he needed to speak to Dinah. He went on to say that he was going to take the fall for everyone. For nearly 11 hours, Willie Picton had been interrogated. Investigators knew they needed to wrap things up. They took a break, and when they came back after several more denials, Willie began to crack just a bit yet again. When asked if others were involved, Willie responded, There be guns involved here. Adam was getting agitated. Willie was just dancing around the questions. Or at least until Adam brought up the fact that he hadn't done such a good job of cleaning up the girl's blood. Willie's answer sent a chill up the spine of anyone and everyone who heard it, then and even now. That's right, I was sloppy. That's what I am, I'm sloppy. He went on to further state that bad policing was why it took him so long to get caught. Adam tried to get an understanding as to why Willie had killed so many of the women of the downtown east side. Anger? 
Well, you sort of said it was anger. Would I be right in saying, Willie, that you had reached the stage where you just no longer sort of really viewed these girls as being worth anything? Uh Uh-huh, Willie responded. Adam went on, and you killed, but Willie cut him off and said, but, uh, no, no, that's, I had one more planned, but that was, that was the end of it. That was the last. I was going to shut it down. That's when I was just sloppy. Just the last one. You were going to do one more, the investigator asked. That's, that was the end of it. That's why I got sloppy, because I never got that far. Adam pressed for details, but Willie wasn't budging. He finally asked him, All right, so my question is, how many? I'd say two, probably two, maybe three. Adam called bullshit on that one. And Willie replied, I already told you how many's in the trailer. Probably maybe up to as high as three in that, in the motorhome. That was as far as we got. Adam pressed further, and after stating that he needed to talk to Dinah for the 700th time, he finally admitted that there were possibly two more. And at this point, the investigator must have thought that was as good as it was going to get, but he made one more attempt to reach Willie. He asked why Willie wouldn't just give him everything. I mean, it was pretty clear that he was caught. Willie responded with a question of his own. Why should I do that? For the families, they need to know, Adam answered. And if anyone had ever wondered if Picton had an ounce of remorse, in five words, Willie made it painfully clear there wasn't a speck of humanity left. As he said, not my problem. Shit happens. The interview was over. Willie was escorted back to his cell. It was now 10 p.m. His cellmate was already there. As the door slammed, Willie immediately started bitching about the amount of time he'd been gone. But within minutes, his demeanor changed, and he went from bitching to bragging, stating, They put in 500 yards of gravel, 10 buildings, woo. Now I'm all over the paper. Make the headlines, woo. Pig farmer charged with murder, first degree. It's all the front pages. Every fucking paper is right across the fucking headlines. You're a fucking all-star, his cellmate responded. Willie went on to tell him that he tried to make a deal with the police by saying he wasn't the only one involved in the murders. The pair continued talking about lawyers, the interrogation, and the events of the day. Officers brought in his meal and he began to eat. In between bites of his dinner, what Willie Pickton said to his cellmate next would shock everyone, and it started with a gesture. He held up all five of his fingers on his right hand and pointed to the camera. A smile spread across his face. He then closed his hand and formed a zero. Five? His cellmate questioned. No. Willie made the gesture again. Fifty? The man asked. Yes, Willie responded. Fuck you, the man said. You're full of, you're shitting me. Camera, Willie warned as he pointed up to the ceiling. His cellmate began to talk about how he had murdered his own victims and discarded them in the ocean, stating, do you know what the fucking ocean does to things? There ain't much left. Willie must have forgotten the cameras were rolling when he answered. I did better than that. A rendering plant. He went on to say, Only I was kind of sloppy at the end, too, getting too sloppy. They got me. Oh, fuck. Getting too sloppy. I wanted one more. Make the big 5-0. He later stated, Really fucking pisses me off. I was just gonna fucking do one more. Make it even. Bigger than the, these, bigger than the one in the States. Looks like you got the record, the man said. Willie responded, It's big. It's growing. They say they want to dig. They want to dig. They are. They're going to dig for a year. Let them dig. Have fun. Play in the dirt. Teeth. We're going to find fingernails. Bones. Yes. Oh, yes. Mr. Sloppy. Sloppy at the end. Just at near the end. Just sloppy. But I sure rack their brains. I'll tell you. Willie went on to say his plan was to murder 50 women 
take a break, and then come back and kill 25 more. He laughed through this whole conversation, and it was clear he loved telling his cellmate all about it. All of this excitement must have been tiring, because soon Willie got ready to go to sleep for the night. As he settled in his bunk and pulled the covers up, he made one more statement. Ah, I think I'm dead. It's obvious. So, 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 so close. The cellmate was informed by an officer that he needed to go talk to his lawyer, and he left. As soon as he was gone, Willie, maybe just a tad bit, shall we say, too excited, masturbated right there in his bunk in front of the cameras and God and everyone. What Willie Picton couldn't have known at the time is that the hardened criminal who dumped bodies in the ocean and used the word fuck like it was his job wasn't a hardened criminal at all, and instead was an undercover officer Don Adam had planted in his cell, hoping to get some information. Well played, Mr. Adam. Well played. Willie remained in jail awaiting his day in court. Don Adam and his investigative team interviewed witnesses, met with the families of the missing women, brought in all the experts they could find, and searched every square inch of the Picton property, tearing out walls, sifting through mounds of dirt, and dismantling buildings on the property to go over each piece with a fine-toothed comb. As they uncovered more and more evidence, the charges against Willie Picton racked up and what they would find disturbed even the most seasoned investigators. It was worse than anyone had imagined. Let's break it down by location. According to On the Farm, in Willie's trailer, six hairs with roots were found on a hairbrush, blood and scalp hair in the hinges of handcuffs, human blood on a vibrator, and night vision goggles. More items with Serena Abbotsway's DNA were found throughout the trailer to include black lingerie, her tote bag, running shoes, a pair of pumps, three books, and an inhaler soaked with her blood. Sarah DeVries' DNA was found on two tubes of lipstick and a white cosmetic bag, and Willie's DNA was found on a used condom near the bag. Blood spatter was found on a panel in the bedroom, in which later testing revealed the blood was Helen Hallmarks, who disappeared in 97. Jacqueline McDonald's blood was found on handcuffs in the bedroom. Heather Bottomley's blood was found on Willie's mattress. It seemed everywhere they turned was another item belonging to another woman from the list. Thousands of women's items would ultimately be recovered from the property. Investigators moved on from the trailer and got started in the slaughterhouse, or so that was the plan, until early one morning when investigator Tim Slay was walking past the workshop and he noticed a foul odor coming from one of the freezers. You see, there were all these freezers there in Willie's workshop, some of them dating all the way back to when Willie's parents owned the farm. But there were power issues that would cause the electricity running to the freezers to fluctuate. It was something that had worried Slay. He knew there was possible evidence contained in the freezers, and a power outage could destroy it all. As he walked by that morning and noticed the smell, he decided to investigate. And it wasn't as simple as just walking over and opening a freezer door. The freezers were ancient and piled high with junk and tools. He got assistance from another officer, and the two pried open the door, careful not to disturb anything. They looked down, and at first all they saw were a few wrapped packages of what appeared to be meat and a chunk of ice. But what was with the buckets? There were two white, five-gallon buckets, one placed inside the other, and tipped over on their sides. Slay carefully tipped the buckets and shone his flashlight down inside and he saw something, and he recognized it immediately. It was a human head. The search of the slaughterhouse was called to a grinding halt, and immediately, teams filed in the workshop to secure the evidence from the freezers. They simply couldn't risk something going wrong with the power and any loss of this evidence. 
every tool, piece of junk, whatever was on the tops of the freezers was removed cautiously and photographed. It was time to take a closer look at those white buckets. I mean, they recognized the human head and the top bucket, but what was underneath? And what were those other things inside the bucket with the head? The two buckets were gently pried apart, and the bottom bucket contained exactly what the top one had, another human head. Upon closer inspection, investigators noticed that both of the heads had been cut vertically down through the middle of the face and through the back of the skull, and each bucket also contained what appeared to be hands and feet. And while the discovery was absolutely shocking, Tim Slay had seen this before, years earlier in 1995, when he worked on the case of the Jane Doe found by the side of the road. We talked about that case way on back in the beginning of the series. What are the odds that a guy who had worked the Jane Doe case seven years earlier would be the man who discovered Two skulls cut exactly the same way on Willie Picton's farm because they've got to be astronomical. The buckets were carefully transported to the hospital morgue for autopsy. The outside white bucket was examined first, and investigators on scene had been right. Two halves of a human head, a pair of feet, a partial heel, a pair of hands, and a few teeth were found inside. The medical examiner determined that this victim had been shot in the right side of the head and the bullet had likely come out her left eye. The remains would later be identified through fingerprints as Andrea Josberry, who had vanished just 10 months prior. The second bucket held the same contents as the first, only these remains were a little more decomposed, and this time two 22 caliber bullets were found one lodged in the lower part of the skull and another at the bottom of the bucket. These remains belonged to Serena Abbotsway. Tool mark expert Brian McConaughey was called in, and he determined that there was significant tool damage to both of the skulls. He stated, The heads had been severed with two vertical cuts performed with a reciprocal power saw, which went up through the chin, through the palate, up through the forehead, stopping centrally at what could best be described as the high forehead. Another cut was performed through the rear base of the skull, rotation up to the top of the head. The two saw cuts did not meet in the top. There was about perhaps an inch of skull that was not cut. It was then fractured, so it had been split open, the last remaining portion. As far as the hands and feet, the expert determined that no tool damage was present, and instead, he believed the bones had been disarticulated or taken apart where they naturally joined. McConaughey was also asked to examine Jane Doe's skull, and he determined that the markings and way in which the skull was cut was consistent with the other two. Back on the farm, a searcher had discovered a human jawbone containing several teeth out near where the old piggery had once stood. The jawbone was also examined by the expert, and it was determined that this skull had likely been bisected just like the others. DNA extracted by a forensic dentist would later match Brenda Wolf, who had disappeared in 1999. They would also find Brenda's DNA on a leather jacket, two lipsticks, a green duffel bag which contained a handcuff key, handcuffs, two handguns, leg cuffs, and jewelry, all also containing her DNA. Another small bone fragment was found around the same area belonging to a different woman. This fragment would later be matched to Wendy Crawford, who had vanished in 1999. The DNA of 21-year-old Tanya Holick was also found in the workshop, as well as the DNA of Inga Hall and Sherry Irving. As these discoveries were made, more murder charges were laid against Willie. It was finally time to move on and make the slaughterhouse the focal point of the search. And soon, investigators found Andrea Josberry's DNA on a garbage bag. They also found Jennifer Firminger's bloody Digitech watch. Jennifer's blood would also be located on a hoodie and another jacket. 
Two plastic garbage pails were located, which contained human remains, including another severed head, bisected the same way as the others. Hands and feet were also found. An autopsy was performed, and it was determined that again, the victim had been shot in the head. These remains would later be identified as those of Mona Wilson. Fifty tiny hand bones were found underneath a wood panel that separated freezers from the pig pens and the slaughterhouse, as well as a knotted rope and a shell casing. Underneath another freezer, investigators found a small human bone, a green toothbrush, and a friendship bracelet. The bones belonged to 37-year-old Georgina Pappen, who had vanished in 2001. Another wrist bone would later be found in a bone pit, which we're about to get into. A ring belonging to Heather Chinnick was found in a pig pen nearby where Georgina's bones had been found. Heather's DNA would also be found on a detergent bucket in the workshop. In the motorhome, investigators found clumps of Diane Rock's hair and some blood. In those bone pits? Searchers also had to sift through about 30 or 40 bone pits scattered all over the property, where animal carcasses had been dumped with dirt poured over. It was not only possible, but very likely that human remains had been mixed in. And there were. Most of the bone pits contain only animal bones, but human remains had also been discarded amongst the animal carcasses. A partial human jaw with three teeth, which would later be identified as having belonged to Marnie Frey. A left rib, heel bone, and several vertebrae bones were found that were matched by DNA to the Jane Doe found near Mission. Forensic examination would determine that the spinal column had been cut in half vertically. The DNA of Don Cray, Kara Ellis, Yvonne Bowen, Andrea Borhaven, Wendy Crawford, Carrie Kosky, and three other women whose names weren't even on the missing women's list would also be found in various locations on the Picton property. But the last discovery was something absolutely no one was prepared for. What I'm about to tell you is horrifying, graphic, and utterly disturbing. If you have a weak stomach, now's the time to dip out. Two additional freezers had been found at the back of the workshop. Investigators had removed a sheet of plastic and three plastic bags full of what appeared to be ground meat. They had sent those items off for testing. And the test results were in. The ground meat contained ground human tissue. DNA testing would later reveal that DNA from the meat matched that of both Inga Hall and Cindy Felix. Had Willie been selling human meat to local meat shops and other butchers? The thought was unimaginable. As the search was coming to an end, Willie Picton's court date got closer. A publication ban, as is common in Canadian courtrooms, was issued for the preliminary stages of the trial. News reporters and families of the victims were permitted in the courtroom. However, they couldn't discuss anything outside the courthouse walls. A first glimpse of the entirety of the evidence was given. Lynn Ellingson testified about the woman she had seen hanging that night on the farm. Andrew Bellwood testified about Willie Picton describing to him how he would go and find a sex worker, take her back to the farm, kill, and then dispose of her. Sandra Gale Ringwald told the court all about the night she survived being attacked by Willie Picton and the fight for her life. And then there was Gina Houston. She testified about all the wonderful things Willie had done for her over the years. And while they had talked many times about getting married, the pair never had a romantic relationship. Gina went on to describe learning to slaughter and butcher animals with Willie and Pat Casanova, and how they used a reciprocating saw to cut through bone. She detailed several trips to the rendering plant with Picton, saying that on most trips he dumped two or three barrels of what she believed to be animal parts, and that he'd been a customer of West Coast Reduction for so long that no one checked what in the hell he was actually dumping off. He was just waved onto the property. She recounted that when Lynn Ellingson moved into the farm, 
Willie had shown up with a dozen roses and an explanation. He was just trying to help Lynn and get clean, and he didn't want Gina upset. And then Gina Houston, Willie's BFF, said something that left Jaws on the floor. She told the court that Willie later wanted to get rid of Lynn because she was trying to extort money from him after finding court papers documenting the incident with Sandra Ringwald. And Willie had asked Gina to get rid of her for him. He had even bought her a station wagon as payment. Gina Houston stated under oath, he asked me to take her out partying and help her to OD. He would buy the dope. He wanted her offed permanently because it could cost a lot for lawyers and he was worried about what people would think. She went on to say, same with Lee. Who Gina referred to as Lee was Willie's other BFF, Lisa Yeltz. Apparently, at some point, Willie wanted her dead as well. And when it came to the missing women, Gina admitted that she knew 20 to 30 of them, and she confessed that she had actually seen Serena Abbott's way on the farm. She went on to recall a conversation with Willie the day before he was arrested. Gina said, He looked at me, he told me he loved me, and he told me, There's only one way out of this for us. I asked what he meant. He said, There's only one way out of this for us, a rope, a truck, or a train. And we had to do it before Friday because he didn't want to go to jail. Gina recounted that she had thought he was joking at first until she noticed that Willie was crying. She immediately thought it had something to do with Mona Wilson. So she asked Willie, and he said that it did. Gina stated further, he told me he did everything he could to stop them from hurting her, but he couldn't. And I asked him if the police are going to find anything. Yes, he responded, in the piggery. She pressed for further details. I asked what was next to Mona, and he said there's two or three or four, maybe five, three that weren't on the list. Gina asked if police would find anything else, and he responded, at the top of the loft. Houston then went on to admit that she had supplied women to longtime friend of Willie and Butcher, Pat Casanova, when he asked for what she described as feminine companionship. And old Casanova there knew exactly what he wanted. He would tell Gina what kind of woman he was looking for, right down to the hair color. Things were wrapped up with Gina detailing the friction between Lynn Ellingson and Dinah Taylor. She testified that all these women were just out there ripping Willie off, but she was a true friend. And with that, 64-year-old Patricio Casanova, better known as Pat, took the stand. He testified that he'd been helping Willie butcher pigs for years. He then recounted about several of the sex workers he had paid for that feminine companionship right there on the Picton farm. It was revealed Casanova had actually paid $40 for the company of victim Andrea Josberry, and she had been brought to Picton's trailer for him by none other than Dinah Taylor. Of course, Gina Houston wasn't the only one luring women out to the farm. When asked if he saw Andrea leave the farm that day, he responded with no. He didn't remember seeing her leave. The line of questioning moved from the women to how the pigs were butchered. Casanova testified that Picton used a reciprocating saw and would slice lengthwise through the vertebrae of the pigs to cut them in half. Sound familiar? Casanova admitted that later on he too had used a band salt to slaughter pigs at his home, but stopped using it after he had cut himself. Witness testimony would later reveal that human DNA had been found on this saw. However, it was never said whose DNA had been found. And what was done with the meat after the pigs were butchered on the Picton farm? Casanova testified that he'd gone with Picton many times to deliver packages of ground pork to Pitt Meadows Meats. And with that, the preliminary hearing was over. Everyone waited anxiously to see exactly how many counts of murder Robert Willie Picton would be charged with. The Crown believed they had enough evidence to charge him 
with the first-degree murder of 22 women. On July 23, 2003, Judge Stone announced to the court Willie Picton would be tried on 15 counts of first-degree murder. The other seven counts had come in after the beginning of the preliminary hearing, therefore Willie would not stand trial for those. According to On the Farm, after court was dismissed that day, family members of the missing women headed to the Picton Farm. They had been invited to watch the Picton Farmhouse be destroyed by the task force. They clapped and cheered as a backhoe made quick work of the house. They would never have to look at that house of horrors again. But the investigators still weren't finished. They would search the dirt under the house for further evidence. And when that was finally completed in the fall of 2003, another ceremony would be held. This time, it was by anthropology students that had come in and volunteered searching through the dirt on the farm for 18 months. Before the last hole was filled in, the students stood around the edge, holding a white rose for each of the women, along with a card with her name on it. One by one, they said the women's names and dropped the rose in the pit, followed by the card. Music was played as the final hole was covered. Don Adam later played a video of this touching ceremony for the women's families. They wept along with officers at what the students had done to honor their loved ones. Time dragged on and everyone was waiting for the trial to start. There was delay after delay and the families of the women, rightfully so, were getting annoyed. A health warning was about to be issued by British Columbia's senior health officer, Dr. Perry Kendall, that would shock the entire world. On March 10, 2004, the announcement was made that meat from the farm could have been mixed with human flesh and sold to the public. The doctor stated, As a result of information we received from the RCMP, we have reason to believe there is a strong possibility that some of the product from the Picton farm, and how much the RCMP do not know, may still be sitting in some people's freezers in the Lower Mainland. He went on to say that the meat had never been sold in retail stores, and the only concern was if you had gotten meat from the Picton farm. But those close to Willie dispute that. Lisa Yelds claimed that her husband Dave Yelds sold pork for Willie to several small butchers in Fraser Valley. So did Pat Casanova, and so did Picton himself. Dave Yelds had distributed about 300 pounds of ground meat out of the farm every month, according to Yelds. And she herself distinctly remembered going with Willie to three meat stores in the Pitt Meadows, Abbotsford area while he was delivering meat. One of the stores being Pitt Meadows Meat, the same store Pat Casanova testified he had delivered meat to. Not to mention the rendering plant, in which Willie himself claimed he had dumped human remains in. There was never any public announcement that I can find warning people about human remains being distributed from products coming out of the plant. But many still wonder exactly how widespread the issue really was. On May 25, 2005, everyone was back in court again, and the Crown had brought 12 new murder charges against Willie Picton which brought the total to 26 counts of first-degree murder. But the charges wouldn't stick. Defense lawyers for Willie Picton would argue that no jury could possibly listen to evidence on 26 counts, especially of first-degree murder. The Crown disagreed, however, but on August 9, 2006, the judge ruled the trial would move forward on six counts only and the remaining 20 charges could be tried later. The six were Serena Abbotsway, Mona Wilson, Andrea Josberry, Brenda Wolf, Georgina Pappin, and Marnie Frey. The prosecution would be hit yet again when the judge ruled that Sandra Gale Ringwald would not be testifying in front of the jury, and further, the prosecution couldn't even bring it up. And with that, the trial began on January 22, 2007. 
The evidence presented by the prosecution was much of what we went over in the preliminary stage. The DNA and remains found in all the scientific evidence, along with Willie's basic confession in the interrogation room and in his cell, and the testimonies of all the same players we've been over, like Lynn Ellingson, Scott Chubb, Casanova, Houston, and the rest of them. 98 witnesses testified on behalf of the Crown, and the evidence was damning. When the defense got its turn, it tried to poke holes in all the stories and then shift the blame. What if it was Dave or Dinah Taylor or Gina Houston? There were so many people out there on the farm. Surely, Willie Pickton couldn't have pulled this off alone. And besides that, he was stupid. Yeah, you heard me right. That was part of their defense. A psychologist who was an expert on early childhood intelligence testified for the defense that although Pickton's IQ was average, he was probably too dumb to get away with a crime of this magnitude. They went on and on and claimed, quote, some other guy must have done it. And they argued that evidence showed Picton's closest friends were better suspects than he was. How could anyone be sure that the evidence found all over the Picton farm had been placed there by Willie and not Pat Casanova or Dinah Taylor? During the close, Crown Prosecutor Mike Petrie brought it all home, showing clips of the conversation with the undercover officer while in jail, particularly the end of the conversation when Willie pulled his blanket up and uttered, so close, so, so, so close. Petrie ended his argument by stating, if Willie Pickton is not guilty, he must be the unluckiest man alive because he has the remains of not just one, not two, but six women on his property within meters of his home. He's a butcher. That's an unfortunate coincidence if he's just an unlucky man. The personal effects of these women just happen to be in his house. Again, if he's an unlucky man, that's a very unfortunate coincidence. Then there is the fact that he told the police he had killed 49 women. That's probably as unlucky a coincidence as you could possibly have. The judge gave the jury their instructions, which took three days in and of itself, and it was finally time for deliberation on November 30, 2007. As the jury decided Willie's fate, outside the courtroom in front of the courthouse, someone had placed a Christmas tree and hung 26 white angels on it. On the afternoon of December 9, 2007, family members of several of the victims who were native formed a circle and began to dance around the tree. One by one, they began pulling in the non-native members of other families, each member of the circle embracing the newcomer as they joined in. People watching began to cheer. It was a circle of love and healing, and it couldn't have came at a better time, because as the families danced, a sheriff's deputy called out, We have a verdict. Everyone rushed inside the courthouse, holding their breath. The jury foreman announced a verdict in each case. Not guilty of murder in the first degree of Serena Abbotsway. Not guilty of murder in the first degree of Georgina Pappen. Not guilty of murder in the first degree of Marnie Frey. The families cried out with each verdict. Not guilty of murder in the first degree of Brenda Wolf, Mona Wilson, and Andrea Josberry. The entire world was stunned. Willie Pickton hadn't been found guilty of murder in the first degree for any of the six women. The jury instead had found him guilty of six counts of second-degree murder. Lead investigator Don Adam would later speak at a press conference two days after the verdict, and I've never agreed with a statement more in my life. Adam said, Full justice was not done. If there is a person here who doesn't know Willie Pickton planned these murders, then I'm on the wrong planet. At sentencing, family members of the women spoke about who their loved ones were and the impact their deaths had left. 
Prosecutor Mike Petrie read some of the statements from other family members as he wept. In all the years he had been the chief prosecutor, he had managed to keep his composure, even through the difficult moments. But as he read one statement written by Brenda Wolf's mother, he could hardly get through the words as he spoke. There is a pain in my heart that will not heal. If the teardrops I shed made a pathway to heaven, I would walk all the way and bring you home, hold you in my arms again, and never let you go. The judge sentenced Willie Pickton to the maximum sentence allowed, life imprisonment with a chance at parole after 25 years. If he lives long enough, there is a chance that Willie Pickton could be paroled. Let that sink in. An appeal was taken all the way up to the Supreme Court in 2010, but Willie ultimately lost that appeal and the conviction was upheld. Willie Pickton will never face charges in the deaths of any of the other women he brutally murdered. Witnesses have since died, like Gina Houston, who passed away from breast cancer in 2010. Memories have faded, and without these witnesses, prosecutors will not pursue a second trial. These women and their families will never see true justice. But they didn't die in vain. Because of them, real changes were made in the way the Vancouver police handle missing persons cases. A public inquiry was held into the investigation of the missing women's case, and according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, it was determined that blatant failures by police, including inept criminal investigative work, compounded by police and societal prejudice against sex trade workers and indigenous women, led to a tragedy of epic proportions. And I think even that is an understatement. Vancouver PD made permanent changes to their policies and procedures after the findings of the inquiry. And to this day, the annual Women's Memorial March takes place every Valentine's Day in the downtown east side of Vancouver on behalf of missing and murdered Indigenous women. At this year's walk, 2022, Wendy Nahaney was one of many who spoke out against violence, stating to globalnews.ca, Respect your First Nations. Respect the people that were here holding these lands before you were here and are still tending these lands. Respect. It's all anyone is asking for. And it's exactly why I wanted to cover this case. To close things out, I'd like to thank everyone who hung in there through this entire series. I know it's a lot to take in, and the brutal nature of what Willie Pickton did is hard to hear. But this is the reality for 49 families. 49 families, the majority of which never received justice. 49 families who couldn't hold proper burials for their loved ones because of what Willie Pickton did. 49 families whose cries fell on deaf ears for years until police finally decided to act. 49 women who weren't treated with an ounce of the respect they deserved. 49 human beings whose lives ended simply because they crossed paths with the monster that is Willie Pickton. Their lives mattered. They were people with hopes and dreams just like anyone else. And their stories deserve to be told with respect. Their names should be remembered and their lives honored. Human life is to be respected. And when we as a society assign a different value to a life for any reason, we create an environment where evil thrives. I don't think there's a better example of this than the Picton case. I leave you with the words of Sarah Jean DeVries, as documented in Missing Sarah, written by her sister Maggie. If you could look inside my mind, would you like the woman you find? Would you understand me? Would you love me? Look deep into my windows, past the mass hysteria of confusion. Look deeper, look farther. Now look, look harder. Past the illusion, past the disillusion, past the hurt, anger, and self-retribution. 
If you can, what do you see? Don't look if you don't care, for you won't ever find me there. Like a child beaten and raped, I'll run and hide for my safety's sake. True love, true hate, I know what they are. My defenses are weak. My wishful thinking leaves me wounded. Down on my knees, begging, pleading. Please, God, one, just one of them must really care for me. Sarah Jean DeVries Stevie Cameron's book, On the Farm, Robert William Picton, and the tragic story of Vancouver's missing women can be purchased on Amazon or pretty much wherever you get your books. It is wonderfully written and details every aspect of this case. Maggie DeVries' book, Missing Sarah, can be purchased at maggiedevries.com. That's M-A-G-G-I-E-D-E-V-R-I-E-S. It is a beautiful and heartbreaking look into the life of her sister, Sarah. I'll put a link to both books in the show notes. As always, you can find more information on my Instagram, at least underscore of these, or my Facebook, at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. I'll be bringing an all-new case next week, and I can't wait. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.